a series in Hebrews chapter 12 called Marathon. And what we're learning in this series is what it looks like to run your race, finish your life faithfully. And so that's kind of what we've been talking about as we go through the book or the chapter of Hebrews 12. A couple months ago, I started getting kind of a uh, kind of a pain in my lower back. And uh, that pain just progressed. It just got worse and worse and worse. And uh, then the pain started shooting down the back of both of my legs. And I was like, that doesn't seem normal. Um, and I'm not sure what's going on. And so I talked to a couple of friends and kind of explained the symptoms that I was having. And they said, oh, you have a pinched sciatic nerve. And I was like, you know, I didn't take, I had an anatomy class in college, so I don't know what that is. And they said, you know, your sciatic nerve, and if you have never had a pinched sciatic nerve, I don't recommend it. It's not fun. Um, but uh, what, it, what it does is it starts in your lower back, and then it goes down the back of both of your legs. And so when it's pinched, your, your lower back will hurt, but then also that pain will shoot down where that nerve is, down the back of both of your legs. And uh, it's pretty painful when it's pinched. And so I started doing a bunch of stretches to try to like, you know, relieve it a little bit. And the stretches started to help. It started to get a little bit better and better and better. And uh, I, I stopped working out during that time and I stopped running because I didn't want to make it worse. Well, the other day I was feeling pretty good uh, about my uh, about my back. My back wasn't hurting as bad. And so I decided that I was going to go for a run. And I, I got out and I started doing the run. And I got about halfway done with the run. I won't tell you how long halfway was because I don't want to embarrass myself. But I got about halfway done with the run that I was planning on doing and my back just started hurting. The pain was shooting down both of my legs. And so in that moment, I've got two options, right? I could be a wimp and stop running and go back home and, and you know, stretch it out. Or I could do what, you know, a man would do and I could just run it off because that's what they told me in high school. They told me if you ever have any pain, like when I was playing sports in high school, you just keep running, just run it off. It'll stop hurting eventually. And so I was like, all right, that's what I'm going to do. So I kept running and running and, and running and it just, it kept getting worse. And what I learned in those moments when, when I was running and my, this pain is shooting down the both of my, both of my legs, my back is killing me. I just kept running and all I wanted to do was stop running. That's all I wanted to do. Like, I, I wanted to go home. I wanted to lay on the couch. I wanted some Ben and Jerry's. Like, I just, I wanted to stop. That's all I wanted to do. And what I learned is that nothing makes you want to quit like suffering does. Right? You, you, I'm sure you've all been there. I mean, if you played sports in high school, there, there were those days where it seemed like your coach hated you a little bit more than he normally did. And so he made you run like extra laps that day. And it seemed, it seemed like all you did during practice was just run and you're in pain and you're suffering and all you wanted to do was quit. Or maybe you had surgery before and, and you had to kind of go through physical therapy to try to relearn how to do some things. And during that time, there's pain, there's suffering. And all you want to do is quit because nothing makes you want to quit like suffering does. Now, we know that's true in our physical life, but it's also true in our, in our marathon, in, in, this, in this life, in our spiritual life. Nothing will make you want to quit like suffering will. There's nothing that, that's going to make you want to step back from your walk with Jesus or step away from the Lord like suffering will do. And, and there's a lot of different kinds of suffering. You know, there, there's, there's relational suffering where or maybe you went through a breakup or you went through a divorce. There's suffering there. Or maybe there's, um, there, there's emotional suffering where you're just going through a series of maybe it's, maybe it's just you're worried all the time or maybe it's depression, but, but there's, there's emotional suffering that we can go through. There's physical suffering. 
where you're going through uh, some kind of illness or some kind of ailment, and, it, and it's just hard physically, or, or maybe, there's, um, maybe there's a financial suffering where you don't know how you're going to pay rent. You don't know how the mortgage is going to come through. And so there, there's suffering there. And during those times of suffering, if we're not careful, what we can do is we can allow those times of suffering to kind of pull us away from the Lord rather than pushing us closer to Him. And, and that's why like, nothing will make you want to give up like suffering will. Last week we learned that, that the book of Hebrews, it's written to a group of people who were Jewish believers. And I want to tell you a little bit about what it was like to be a Jewish believer in the first century. Because being a Christian back then was very difficult. Nobody was pretending to be a Christian back then. Because being a Christian back then had no social uh, advantage. There, there was no advantage to being a Christian, uh, especially if you were a Jewish Christian. Be, because, okay, if we go back to the book of Acts, you have the, the, the apostle Paul. Uh, before he was Paul, he was known as Saul, right? And, and what we learned in the book of Acts is that there's a guy named Stephen. He's preaching the gospel. And uh, these Pharisees come. They don't like what Stephen is preaching. And, and they start to stone Stephen. And there's a man that they lay down their coats at his feet. And then they go and stone Stephen. And, and when you were to lay your coats at someone's feet back then, it was a symbol that you were approving of what was going on, that you were the one that was allowing this to happen. And that man was Saul. Saul was a Pharisee. And so there were people in the first century, Jewish people, who found out that there were other Jewish people who started following Jesus, and they made it their mission in life to get rid of those Jewish believers. They wanted to imprison them. They wanted to kill them. They wanted to separate them from their families. They wanted to do everything that they could to discourage people, especially Jewish people, from becoming believers in Jesus. Now, I want to say this. Saul was not the only one doing that. It wasn't like when Saul stopped doing it that all the persecution stopped because it was still going on. It's going on all through the book of Acts. The Pharisees hated the fact that there were Jewish people who chose to follow Jesus. They despised it. And so there is a lot of suffering going on to the people that this chapter of Hebrews 12 is written to. Suffering that many of us will never experience. I mean, they're being separated from their families, they're being imprisoned. Their churches are, 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 or at least people are trying to break their churches up. I mean, the devil is really working here and he's trying, like, there, there is a lot of, there's a lot of suffering. And so it's under this that the Hebrews 12 is written. And the author of Hebrews knows that there is nothing that's going to make these believers want to quit like suffering, which is why he writes the verses that we're going to study tonight, because he doesn't want them to quit. And so what he does is he gives them a few reminders of things that they need to remember when they want to quit, when they want to give up, when the suffering gets too hard, he gives them some reminders, things that they need to remember. And the first reminder that he gives them, and this is going to sound harsh, and I want you to, I want you to hold on and hear my heart behind this. But here's what he says. He says, you didn't suffer or you aren't suffering like Jesus suffered. Look at verse number three. For consider him that endureth such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against 
sin. So we know, last week we studied verses 1 and 2, and we know that Jesus is our ultimate example to look to in how to be faithful. If we want to know how to live this life in faithfulness, we look to Jesus, who was the author and finisher of our faith. We look to him because he's the only one who has been ultimately faithful. There were other people in the Old Testament that were faithful, but they weren't totally faithful. They failed at points. They messed up, but Jesus didn't. He was completely and totally faithful, and so he's our example to look to in how to be faithful. Then he says to look to Jesus as the example of how to suffer. That Jesus suffered. He, he, he suffered a lot throughout his life. And a lot of times we can, we can start to think that because we're faithful, that God kind of owes us an easy life, right? I mean, I'm not the only one that's ever thought that. Like, like we, we, we come to church and we're here and, and, and we're serving and, and we're serving in the sound booth and we're in the nursery and we're teaching a class and we're here Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. We're here for Sunday school. We're, we're here for everything and we're like, God, hey, I've been faithful. And so, and so you kind of owe me. Like, if I've been faithful, you kind of owe me kind of an easy life. And I wonder if after Hebrews 12, that wasn't a little bit of what the Hebrew people were struggling with. After Hebrews 11, they're reading, keep in mind, they're reading or they're listening to this out loud. When letters were written to the churches in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, they, they didn't off, they didn't always read it or like have it personally. What they did was they got together and they listened to it being read. So the first time that these people heard it, it was being read to them. And so they listened through Hebrews 11 and they heard things like women received their dead raised to life. Sarah received strength. God clothed the mouths of lions. And they're listening to this and they're thinking, but God, I've been faithful too. Like, I'm here. I'm listening to your word being read. I'm serving you and we're being persecuted. And I've asked you over and over again that you'd kind of like subside this a little bit because we have the Pharisees knocking at our door like they want to kill us. And then we've got the Romans who want to break up our congregation. And we've been begging you and we've sought you in tears, asking you to deliver us from this. And you haven't done anything yet. Like we've been faithful, God. Why haven't you done anything? God says, hang, hang on a second. You've suffered. You're suffering for me, but you haven't suffered nearly as much as he did. He says, you, you have not suffered. You have not strived against sin unto blood, is the, is the wording in verse number four. He's like, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that you haven't suffered, but I'm, all I'm saying is you haven't suffered the way that he suffered because he, he even prays in the garden. Jesus prays in the garden, God, let this cup pass from me. The cross was not something that Jesus was looking forward to. He was looking forward to the other side of the cross, but he's not looking forward to the cross itself. He wasn't excited about being separated from his father. He says, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he was the most righteous man alive. If anyone deserved to have the cup of God's wrath pass from him, it was Jesus. If anyone deserved for God to show favor on him because of his faithfulness, it was Jesus. And God says no. Which means that faithfulness does not always equal an easy life. 
God doesn't just owe us an easy life just because we're faithful, because the Bible says that he was bruised for our transgressions. That he was, he, sorry, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. God says, I'm not going to let this cup pass from you. I know you've been faithful, but I'm not going to allow the cup to pass from you. And think about how mistreated Jesus was, because that's what this passage is calling us to. It's calling us to remember just how mistreated he was. Because he came down from heaven to save a group of people, to die for their sins. He came down to, to redeem a group of people who, when he was 30 years, 33 years old, took him and they spit on him. They tossed insults at him. They, they, they whipped him. They beat him. They put a bag over his head, punched him in the face, and then said, hey, if you're really God, tell us who just punched you. These were the people that he came to deliver and, and they rejected him. And then they took him and they, they nailed him to a cross. And before that, he, he was in the garden and he was under so much pressure that he sweat drops of blood. He was nailed to a cross. They propped him up and they, and they gambled his garments away at his feet. What the author is calling us to here is to remember that. I think sometimes we just need to sit in the fact that Jesus suffered for us. Everything that I just mentioned, he did that for you. And that's what the author is calling us to remember, that he suffered. He tells them, consider him, he's the same verse number three, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. The word contradictions there, it means rejection. That his own people rejected him. And the author says, you need to remember this. And then what does he say? He, he says, ye have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. You know what he's saying? You didn't do that. Let me tell you what he's not doing there. He is not minimizing the suffering of these Jewish people. This isn't like a flex moment on God's part where he's like, you know what? Don't even talk to me about suffering. Have you ever met somebody who like you're, you're, you're like, you're saying how much you worked and, and like you worked a lot this week and work was really hard. And they're like, oh, don't even talk to me about a hard day at work. Like, and then they go on to explain and you're like, bro, I just wanted you to listen to me. I didn't need like a whole like dialogue of what your life is like. This isn't God doing that. This isn't God saying, oh, don't, don't even talk to me about suffering. Don't even talk to me about suffering because I suffered way more than you suffered. That's not what he's doing. He's not, he's, not, he's not saying that we don't suffer. Before anyone throws any rocks at me right now, I'm not saying that you're not suffering. Because there are people in this room that, that I know have gone through suffering that, that I have not experienced. I'm not saying that you don't suffer. I'm not saying that life isn't hard. I'm not saying that things don't hurt. And, and God's not saying that either. What he's trying to get us to do is, is to reframe our hardships, to, to see them in perspective. Because he says in verse number three why he's telling them to remember. Look at, look at what it says, verse number three. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Why? Lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. He's saying, listen, the reason that I want you to remember the sufferings of Jesus is so that you don't give up when you're suffering. 
I don't want you to give up. So remember how much he suffered for you. Because I'll tell you this right now, if we often have in our, in our mind the amount of suffering that Jesus went through for us, there is not any suffering that we would not be willing to go through for him. If that is on our mind, we will be more than willing to suffer on his account. And so what he's not saying this to discourage us and saying you don't actually suffer. He's saying this to encourage us. I was talking to somebody recently. Um, Wes and I were actually on a visit. And we were talking about different generations. We were talking about millennials and Gen Zs and baby boomers. And the, the phrase came up, the greatest generation. And I thought they were talking about Gen Z. They were not talking about Gen Z. Uh, apparently, they were talking about the generation that fought in World War II, which I guess they can have it over Gen Z. Um, we're talking about this generation, and I, and I start to think, man, what would it be like if I sat down and started comparing problems with a World War II veteran? I mean, like, we sit down, and I go first, and I'm like, there was this one time where I went to Starbucks, and... Hey, let me finish. I didn't even finish it. <laughs> and I had to wait a half an hour on my pumpkin spice latte. That, that's, I mean, I think that's suffering. There was another time where we went through a power outage, and for like an hour, I didn't even have Wi-Fi. And, I know. <laughs> there was another time, and this is like, listen to this. There was another time where this like worldwide pandemic came out, and they made us wear masks. Can you believe that? The government made us wear masks. And I'm telling this to this guy, and, and he turns around and he looks at me and he says, yeah, that, that sounds really hard. I stormed the beach of Normandy on D-Day. My best friend was killed next to me. A grenade went off nearby, wrecked my leg. I, I don't have a leg anymore. Now, if I'm wise, I'm not going to walk away from that conversation saying, well, I'm never telling him any of my problems again. <laughs> no, I'm going to walk away from that conversation saying, man, if he can go through that, if he can go through that and still be okay, then I think I can too. Take that feeling times 100. And that's the feeling we should get after coming away from a conversation with Jesus. I was sitting in my car uh, a couple days ago after just a really hard day. Excuse me. A really, really difficult day and uh, just had a lot of frustrations on my mind. And I was sitting in my car and, and frankly, I was just frustrated. And I was, I was kind of pouring my heart out to God just with a couple of different things that I was frustrated with. And I stopped for a second to remember who I was talking to. I was like, man, I'm talking to the God who suffered more than anyone has ever suffered. And he calls me to pour out my sufferings to him. He's not trying to discourage you and say that you don't suffer. He's trying to encourage you and say, listen, I know that you're suffering, but if I can do that for you, then you can do this for me. So the first reminder that he gives them is that they haven't suffered like Jesus suffered. But the second reminder that he gives them is that our suffering is proof of God's love. 
Look at verse number 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which, which spake, speaketh unto you, as unto children, My son, despise thou not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God deal with you, uh, God, God deal with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof are ye partakers? Ye, ye are then not, ye, ye are then bastards and not sons. What he's saying here, and this is really interesting, he's saying, you've forgotten how much Jesus suffered for you. And then he turns around and says, and you've forgotten the reason for your suffering. Because the reason for your suffering, the the purpose behind your suffering is not for you to get angry. And it's not because God hates you. It's actually because he loves you. Oh, let's break that down for a second. He, he, he quotes Proverbs 3, 11, and 12 here. The, those are the verses when he says, you've forgotten the things that were spoken unto you. He quotes Proverbs 3, 11, or Proverbs, yeah, Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, which are, which would have been scriptures that these Jewish believers were very, uh, comfortable with because they're Jewish believers. They grew up hearing these, these scriptures over and over and over again. Um, most of them probably had these verses memorized. And so he says in these verses, when he quotes it, he says, despise thou not the chastening of the Lord. The, the word despise there is not how we would use the word despise. It doesn't mean to hate something. And that's, that's a lot of time. And by the way, that can't happen where we hate the chastening of the Lord. We're like, man, I, I hate that we're going through this. That's not what that word means. What that word means is to think little of or to not make a big deal about it. So what he's saying, and keep in mind the suffering that these people are going through. This isn't, a lot of times when we think about chastening, we think you did something wrong and now you're being disciplined for it. This really isn't that kind of chasing. We'll get to that in a second. Because these people haven't really done anything to, to earn God's discipline on them. But the Bible still calls it chastisement. And, and so they're, they're being chastised. Their chastisement is these Pharisees trying to kill them. These Romans trying in and trying to break up these, 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 uh, these congregations. And so he says, don't despise, don't think little of, he's trying to say, don't miss what I'm trying to do because I get that it's hard. I get that it's difficult. I get that you're suffering, but, but stop for a second because I'm trying to do something bigger than what you're seeing. Listen, there is something bigger going on every time we suffer. Every time we suffer, there there is a bigger picture. There's something greater going on. And what this verse is saying is I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss what's going on. And so he calls it chastening. Now, again, like I said, when we think of chastening, we think of like, Micah, I'm sorry. We think of like when Micah was little, Micah did something wrong, and then he got a spanking for it. That's, that's like when we think of chastening, that's what we think of automatically. <clears throat> Which that's part of God's discipline, right? If, if I do something that I know is wrong, God's going to allow me to, to have consequences for that action so that I run back to him. Not, not judgment, it's chastening. It's him trying to get me to come back to him. Like when, when pastor spanked Micah when he was a kid, it wasn't because he hated him. It was because he loved him. He, he saw this behavior. He saw that Micah did it. And so he, he, was, he was rebuking him. 
That's one form of chastisement. But there's another form. That, that kind is reactionary. There's another form of discipline that is preventative. So when I was younger, I had a friend that was not a good influence on me. I mean, he was like a really, really bad influence on me. And my dad knew that. And so when we hung out, like it would be outside of our house, like it was always, you know, in front of our, in front of our house. And I, and he asked me one day if I could go over to his house and sleep over. And I was like, okay, I'll go ask my parents. So I go in and ask my dad and I said, Hey, can I sleep over at Cody's house? And he says, no. And I was like, what? Like, why? And I didn't get it. Like, I was so dumb that I did not like comprehend why he would not allow me to sleep over at Cody's house. I didn't get it. It was confusing for me. I was like, Dad, why won't you let me go? I really want to go. It looks like fun. I don't understand why you won't let me do it. Like, do you hate me? Why are you making me go through this? Now I have to go out and I have to tell him that I can't go over to his house and it's going to be embarrassing and they're going to laugh at me and all the stuff that teenagers think of when their parents say no to something. He said no. Because he, listen to this, listen to this. It was because he saw something in me and in that situation that I didn't see myself. That's why I didn't understand it. And so we go through suffering sometimes and we're like, God, why are you letting me go through this? Why won't my family member get healed? Why won't this sickness go away? Why can't you just provide the finances? Why, why, why won't you do it? God, why are you allowing me to go through it? And in every case, it's because he sees something that you don't. He is trying to, hear me out, what he is doing in all of our suffering is disciplining us to look more like Jesus. Every time. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, he says, and we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. And then he says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn above, uh, among many brethren. And when he says predestined there, he's not talking about that they were predestined to be saved. He's saying that through their hardships, they were predestined after they were saved to become like Jesus. Through every difficulty that they go through, that the purpose every single time is to make us more like Jesus. And so what the author is calling us to here is to see our suffering as evidence of God's love. Why? Because the Father will not discipline someone that he doesn't love. In fact, this verse says that if you're not going through suffering, if there's never been a time where through suffering he's making you more like Jesus, then you're not even his child. Because God won't discipline someone that's not his child. He's a responsible father. You ever been to the playground and a parent tries to discipline a kid that's not theirs? It doesn't work out well for them. And he, God's a responsible father, so he's not going to discipline someone who's not his. And he's, and listen, if God sees something in you, if he sees a lack of faith, if he sees something in you that doesn't look like Jesus, then it would be irresponsible for him not to do something about it. And every time we're suffering, the Bible is calling us not to miss what God is doing. Don't miss the big picture. Don't miss what God's trying to do. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. 
The Bible says in James 1.3 that the trying of our faith worketh patience. Listen, I'm not saying that when you suffer, it's because you did something really bad. And I'm not saying that the next time somebody comes in with a financial difficulty, we should look at them and say, what did they do? That's not the point. What I'm trying to say is there's no suffering that comes into your life unless God allowed it to. Remember the story of Job? Satan had to come to Job or to God and, and ask permission for suffering to, become, to come on Job. He had to ask God's permission. And so there's no suffering in your life that God did not allow to come into your life. And if we know that and we trust him, that means that he's going to be very intentional about the suffering that he allows in our life. Just like parents are really intentional about the kind of discipline that they give their kids, our father in heaven is going to be really, really particular about the kind of suffering that we allow. So when suffering comes into our life, we can trust that God has our best interests in mind. Because our suffering is evidence of his love. So those are the reminders that he gives. That, that, that we have not suffered like Jesus suffered, and that our suffering is evidence of his love. So then how do we respond? When we suffer, how do we respond? And he says next that the way that we respond is by submission. Look at verse number 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of the spirits and live? He's saying, you had a father on this earth who corrected you. And when your father tried to correct you, more than likely, you didn't turn around and say, who do you think you are? Right? Because he's your dad. And if you did that, you know it's just going to get worse. He says, when your father disciplined you, you reverenced him. You respected him. You didn't turn around and say, I can't believe you would do that. Why did you do that? No, you, you, ju- you allowed it to happen because he's your father and because you respected him. And so the Bible says, why shouldn't we give God the same reverence? Because what a lot of people do in their suffering is they, is they go to God and they say, God, why are you letting this happen? I can't believe this. I deserve better than this. And the author of Hebrews is saying, slow down and just submit. Because he knows what he's doing. He sees what he's trying to correct in your life. He sees what he's trying to do. So just just submit to what he's trying to do. And then he says next, in verse number number 10, For they verily for a few days chastised us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. So he said, the author says, listen, there were some, there's some fathers that abuse their kids. There's some fathers that, that chastise, they, they discipline their kids out of their own pleasure. He says, that's not God. God doesn't just allow suffering in your life because he likes to watch you, you, you suffer. In fact, in, in Lamentations 3.33, Israel was going through an, an intense time of God's discipline. And in Lamentations 33.3, the Bible says, For he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the, the children of men. That word willingly, it means, it means to, to have something come from your heart or from the innermost part of your being. And so while God is disciplining Israel, what that verse says is, Hey, I'm not enjoying this. 
This isn't what I wanted. What I wanted was fellowship with you. And what I have to do now because I want fellowship with you is I have to discipline. He said, I'm not doing this from my heart. This isn't what I enjoy to do. But he says that he does it so that we can be partakers of his holiness. So that we can again be made more like Jesus. And verse number 11, Now no chastening for the present seemeth joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. He says you don't have to enjoy it. You just have to submit to it. Because remember what it says in verse number 2, that, that Jesus despised the shame of the cross. He didn't enjoy it just like we don't have to enjoy our suffering. He's like, in the moment, it's not going to seem joyous. You're not going to find joy in it. (laughs) But listen, but afterwards, it brings about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. As long as we allow ourselves to be exercised or, or trained through that suffering, we have to let it train us. That's really what God's doing. If we want to run the marathon and be faithful, we have to be trained. Listen, I'm not going to go home tonight and run a marathon. I know some of you thought I was. I'm not. Because I haven't trained for it. And what God's trying to do in our suffering is He's trying to exercise us. He's trying to train us. Because the, the trying of our faith worketh patience. He's exercising us. So what do we need to remember? We need to remember that we haven't suffered like Jesus suffered. And so in that suffering, we have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He's the only one that's conquered what we've went through. And so we can go to him knowing that if he was faithful, we can be faithful. We need to remember that we haven't suffered like Jesus suffered. And we need to remember that our suffering is evidence of his love. And when we remember those two things, the result of remembering them is submission to whatever God has in our life. Whatever He allows, we submit to. Father, we're thankful for this passage that You've given to us. And I'm thankful that You've allowed me to to walk through it, and I pray that, that the message tonight would have helped someone. And Lord, help us to remember that we haven't suffered like You suffered. You suffered an insane amount on our behalf. And if You can suffer for us that much, then we can suffer a little bit here for you. Lord, help us to submit to your suffering, knowing that it is evidence of your love for us. Father, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.